Hello, this is the cosy space of the Muddy Puddle Teacher Podcast. So we are a tribe of teachers that believe in a more nurturing, active, fun curriculum whereby children are inspired to have a love of learning. We collect the most wonderful people on here and this season we are talking all about children's authors. So we have found a collection of authors that all have the most amazing texts that you need to know about to enhance your teaching. Remember, to get on our website www.themuddybuddleteacher.co.uk you can subscribe for resources and training. We also have a muddy shop with lots of different bits including merchandise, our own published book and other materials. This week I've got the wonderful Molly Potter with me. Now this season is all about children's authors, so Molly is an author. She also has the added benefit of also being a teacher for many years and now she's specialising in PSHE, PSD and putting all of that knowledge and all of that expertise into her books. So hello Molly. Hello Sarah, it's lovely to be here. I am so glad I found you because when I found your books, it was kind of like, oh, wow, right, you've sorted that out for me because you've got a <laughs> range of books, haven't you? Just tell us about the range of books that you've got, the titles and what they offer to my teachers. Well, I did start by writing teacher resources for upper primary in things like PSHE and creative thinking. But now I've kind of really honed in on picture books and non-fiction picture books for sort of either preschool up to sort of certainly key stage one. Um, And I do hear of parents using them with older children as well. But they cover things like the development of emotional literacy, anxiety, um, also things like positive mental health and well-being. And I also have a quite, this sounds randomly, a book on death and a book about sex ed, but likewise aimed at young children because I'm a big advocate for giving children the correct information about things, albeit in a sensitive and age-appropriate way. So, yes, the, my books are mostly about PSHE-type topics in a broad sense. And what's nice about them is that um, even teachers, parents, we really struggle sometimes in how to word that and whether we've done it the right way. I get a lot of people saying to me, like, um, we, we're doing a, a lot of uh, diversity books at Muddy Puddle Teacher and we're doing things about vitiligo, transgender and things like that. And it's really difficult for some people to know how to word that correctly. And like you said, you're doing things about sex ed and things that people probably think, oh, my goodness, this is probably something I don't know how to say. You're helping them. What's nice is it's in a nonfiction way, giving them proper practical methods of how to introduce this to children. And actually, your illustrations are so lovely as well and beautiful. There's almost like a fiction in a nonfiction way. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, totally. I think um, the bonus, somebody asked me that once, why don't you do it as fiction? I think the bonus of nonfiction is the scope. You can put a lot more material in. I love using metaphors with kids, you know, in terms of story to deliver messages, certainly around emotional literacy. I mean, it, it's perfect for that. But in actual fact, if you have a nonfiction book, you can just cover a lot more material. So that's why... I feel quite, and there aren't loads of non-fiction books aimed at that age group in the same way. So uh, yeah. it is quite niche, I suppose. So yeah, yeah I, do, I do think it's, the non-fiction helps me anyway, because I always have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think it's important to put into context for children. Like sometimes stories 
can can get lost the actual message can get lost with the children because they do need things in practical real life ways and sometimes we're trying to ask them to to notice these subliminal messages in their stories that we're trying to sort of get to but sometimes it just needs to be put out in black and white doesn't it and just go this is how you're feeling and this is how we can deal with it yeah, I mean, I do, as I say, I'm a real advocate for just giving the information really clearly to children. And as you say, lots of adults, teachers, parents, carers are actually a bit nervous about saying the wrong thing or they get awkward. Um, I actually supported, which is now called Relationships and Sex Education, countywide in Norfolk for about seven years. And I kept saying to parents, this is not rocket science, none of it. You know, the, it's, the information is not hard to get your head around all you're dealing with is a kind of a gut reaction that says oh no I'm really uncomfortable with this material so my books provide that material so I have heard parents say oh I'm sitting there with your um well it's called the birds and the bees it's the only euphemism in the book but I was sitting there with your birds and bees but honestly Molly I was I was really embarrassed but I ploughed on through and I feel really grateful that the information was all there for me to support that conversation with my child. So, yeah, don't be scared is my message. At the end of the day, it's science and children need to know this valuable information. I think it's just as a society, we've, we've sort of said to ourselves that this is just something we don't want to cover. and We don't want to share with children, but it is science at the end of the day, isn't it? And also all the mental, um, uh, uh, sort of like one, one of our muddy strands is mental health. So I'm very passionate about it. Very passionate about it not being overlooked in the curriculum, but also looking at our curriculum and thinking, do you know what? Is there anything that we might be putting stress onto our children with? You know, the, there's a lot of uh, pressure for teachers to do a lot of recording, a lot of inside work, a lot of, come on, we've got to, they've got to know their next steps. I mean, I, I cannot, I cannot get my head around the why we feel every single session we need to ask a child what their next steps are what they think they've achieved it's almost like they're having a mini observation every single lesson it drives me potty you know and and what we try and do as the mother bottle teacher is try and break that up and our platform is outside and we know that when we're outside it's, it's a lot harder for the teachers to differentiate a lot harder for the teachers to give next steps and things like that what we're trying to do is break that up a little bit and just try and get people teach the curriculum outside but in different ways um so do you think there are elements of of teaching that are not being very supportive of children's mental health well don't get me started on it <laughs> i think that you know i've been in education for many years well three decades and in that time i've seen it go from a kind of maybe a little too loose a kind of rock when the national curriculum came in it was kind of like oh we've we've actually got some structure now so that was welcomed but I've seen it go down the sort of the tick box, the monitoring, the, the scrutiny is unbelievable. And the, fir the first thing I'd like to say is I think that if the teacher's having to engage in all those processes, I mean, the amount of you know, tick boxing I used to have to do at the end of the day, um, I think there's less of you to give to the children. Yeah. First and foremost, you you're exhausted by the whole process of monitoring and evaluating and next steps and so on. That yes, there is less of you. That then means you're less present in the classroom sometimes, you know, and therefore the children will sense that. Um, and in all honesty, my experience of the extensive, you know, tick boxing exercises I've done, 
nobody's really looking at it that meaningfully <laughs> it's like it, it's good for you to have a but as a teacher I've always been able to you come into my classroom I can tell you lots about each child yeah it's all in here but yeah. this kind of needing it to be all documented is really quite something and overwhelming I'd say so less of the teacher available but also the children must well they do they pick up on this kind of like uh always the pressure to be moving on the next steps that you've done that and real imagine if adults in an office are sitting there and somebody's going okay well you've done that well but let's look at what your next steps are going to be perpetually I don't think as adults we particularly enjoy that would we so yeah, that's a kind of, kind of a small part of the many things I could say on that matter. But yes. sadly, I'm not making the decisions on, on that front. Absolutely, no. Me neither, but hopefully one day. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I, I think it's um, the schools look a lot at um, talking about emotions and they do lots of standalone sessions on that, which is really good and really powerful and really important. But I think as a general, we need to look at our own practice as well and, and, and look at how we might be giving very young children um, putting pressure on their shoulders at a very young age where I don't think it's appropriate at all to be doing that. Um, but there you go. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose it's for each school to start to assess that. And, and I know from the Muddy Puddle teacher, because of what we advocate, that we get a lot of schools coming our way that also feel and think that way. Um, but yeah, uh, as a standalone, your books can be very helpful for that, though, can't they? And come into the curriculum and start to help and nurture the children's feelings um, in that way. So that's brilliant. So can you just tell me also, how did you get to writing these books then? I'm fascinated. I did actually go down the old fashioned route to getting published because my teaching ideas, my first books were called Outside the Box and they were creative ideas for teaching, which I used to do mostly at the end of term or towards Christmas, kind of big projects that kids could get their teeth into when you went off timetable, as it were. Um, and I just sent off some sample ideas to Bloomsbury and they said five months later or so, they just said, oh, yes, please, we'd like this. So I started off, as I said, down kind of teacher resource through and then discuss further discussions with the publisher, knowing that my thing was PSHE and emotional literacy the idea that then I moved into this picture book, um, which I'm so glad I did, picture book ideas, um, just came along. And then since the first one, which is How Are You Feeling Today, which is a really simple book, which is literally the children open up the contents page, decide how they're feeling out of, I think, 12 emotions. And then it tells them, turn to page so-and-so to see what to do when you feel that way. They turn to that page and then it gives them suggestions of what they can do when they feel that particular way. Now, that's really, really basic. Yeah. However, the value in that is children just even reflecting what, on what they're feeling, um, because that's the first step in emotional literacy is what am I feeling and what can I do with that information? Once I've worked out what I'm feeling, what could that be telling me and what can I do with it? So the pinnacle of emotional literacy is to be able to see your emotions arise as they arise so that you get really good at preventing those kind of uh, impulsive reactive responses that make situations worse so rather than emotions controlling you that you know you're in control of them now that starts with very young children just literally in naming your feelings you know so all those wonderful emotion posters things like that you know how am I you know children just reflecting maybe at the end of the day with a parent saying 
well, what did you feel today? Um, you know, which of these emotions did you feel? And what had did you do anything about it or did it impact on you, what you ended up doing? So it's that simple. We tend to do that with younger children, but not the older children, I find. Mm. I find. I used to, when I was, um, I mainly um, early years and infants, but I've done the juniors as well. And what I used to do with the juniors is just have a little mindfulness journal and just jot at the end of the day their feelings, which they found really hard at first, but then got into mm. it afterwards. But I think there's this understanding as well that, um, that there are some negative feelings, like anger's negative, that, you know, sadness is negative. And it's about teaching the children that, no, actually, it's not. And, you know, sh- sometimes, you know, when you're feeling guilty, it's, it's a negative feeling. They're not. They're just feelings and everyone's going to feel them, you know, just the same. Hey. Some positive feelings or selfish feelings, you know, uh, uh, are sometimes, you know, considered negative. They're just feelings, aren't they? And we should well, that's it. Yeah, and that's one of my main messages is because if you look at adverts or social media, you'd think that we're all meant to be living this glossy, wonderful life, you know. Children will be forgiven, or adults even, forgiven for thinking the aim is to be happy all the time. So a really key message is all emotions are okay. Some are more uncomfortable than uh, Some are comfortable, some are uncomfortable. And if you think about it, if you make a child feel that anger's wrong in some way or that feeling sad, you've got to be cheered up out of it all the time rather than just sitting with it, what you're doing then is complicating the emotion because the child then not only feel sad, they feel bad about feeling sad. Um, so it, the best emotions are literally just in their pure state. They arrive and they disappear without that kind of complication. And I, I, I think also with parents, they sometimes think that they've got to magic children out of negative emotions. But the main thing about being a parent is that you just are there as the secure sort of presence present. while your child is experiencing their anger or their meltdown or their sadness you are not reacting to that you are actually just kind of being very very there for that child and perhaps I'm picking a bit later when they've calmed down what happened and have a look at it but not in a really complicated way but that's the main thing it's not about magic magicking it away it's about sitting with it and not panicking with with any emotion so, for instance, when children, which typically they do do when they're angry or when they're sad, they want to go off on their own. It's about just shadowing them and letting them be in that moment and sort of saying to them, I'm here when you're ready. I'm here when you're ready to come around. Yeah, that's nice to know. <laughs> the term when you're ready, when I worked in a pupil referral unit, we use that all the time. When you're ready, <laughs> there's no yeah. rush. When yeah. you're ready. I think it's really important to know it's not going to be a... I know because we're busy and we've got loads of other children to be yeah. dealing with, but this sort of feeling, got to sort it out really quickly. But when you're ready, I'm here, yeah. you know, all the time. I'm always was saying that. So, Because yeah. when you're angry, you're not ready to talk to people, engage and have a conversation and calm yourself down, are you? You need to, mm-hmm. and I suppose children need just time to learn how long it does take them to calm down. And I really love that about not adding extra emotions into that. You know, if we do then start to say, well, you know, your, your, your mum and dad are going to be picking you up tonight. They, we're going to have to tell them how what you've been like today. I think things like that are just overcomplicating the fact that this child is in this state of mind. And I, I really like that. And those pure emotions and just allowing them to have that. Oh, you are marvellous. I love it. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, don't make me feel positive emotions. Um, the, other thing, the other thing I was 
yeah, that, that was too easy, Sarah. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I was, I've really been exploring recently is the idea. I mean, again, all of these things are simple, but it's kind of quite good to bring them into consciousness. It's like um, the idea that it's a really good thing to help your child or your children in a class feel comfortable about mild emotional discomfort or not comfortable, you know, but get used to. So if you think about a child in a queue waiting, some parents will go to great lengths. I'll give you an ice cream. I'll, uh, I'll keep you massively entertained because we're in this queue and you look bored and I'm not comfortable with you looking bored because perhaps I wasn't comfortable with being bored. Yeah. But it's that idea of when we're in a queue, that's how we feel. That's yeah. fine. Let's be a bit mindful. Let's have a look around and see what we can notice. I'm here with you. You know, it's it's again being the the adult or the parent that just completely and utterly making the child feel secure by their presence. Because if you think about it, there's so many things in our lives that require us to experience mild emotional discomfort, including yeah. perhaps if you're socially a bit awkward walking into a room full of strangers or um as I say the queue example is a good one or trying something new that you're not very good at you know all of those require a degree of risking feeling emotionally uncomfortable albeit mildly usually so yeah a good example of that was my daughter last week because she's um, she's only seven, but she went on a residential. So it's something she'd never done before. And bearing in mind, we've had lockdown. She's not really left mummy and daddy at all or a little sister for ages. Really super confident she was about going until the night before. And then it was just about telling her that that's just the jitters. It's just a bit of, it, it's, it's excitement, it's nervousness all coming together in one. And I don't think she'd really experienced that in her life very much at all. So it was really yeah. lovely to watch her be like that, which, which came out with crying. And we obviously supported her just before bed. It's always just before bed, isn't it? Of and course. Then, <laughs> and then um, she just snapped herself out of it because we were sort of weighing the pros and the cons and there was lots of positives that were going to come out of it. And it's sort of like in her head, she, she was able to weigh that out. But yeah, it's... And then, yeah. Well, it, it, you, that's a really good example because it's it's also, there's a tendency because us as parents, we want to protect our children and we it, that it can often include wanting to prevent them feeling any negative emotions. So quite often we say oh, you'll be all right, it'll be wonderful, your friends will be there, and we go straight into the positive distraction, like yeah. almost not validating the emotion. Do you think but that's we because need... we find it difficult, you know, as teachers and as parents, we find it difficult exploring that negative, like sort of, you know, sad side of things, but actually it's very important to get into that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think it's part of being human, and maybe, again, it's our conditioning, you know, um certainly when I was a child if I was sad or angry you know that was a no-go you didn't do that and it's like that's so absurd because that's all part of being human isn't it so I would say it's lean into those emotions just with the child and say look I'm really hearing what you're feeling don't dismiss it don't try and chivvy it away don't try and make it disappear listen to it and exactly as you said with your daughter once you talk it through you know they can start to process it and even if she goes to bed still a little bit anxious about the next day that's fine because she will then go through the process of going on the residential and work out oh 
I did it last time I got a bit anxious. It, it turned out fine. Um, that's what we need to give those children that opportunity to do, to see that when they feel really nervous about something or sad, it does pass and it doesn't turn out quite often things don't turn out to be as bad as we anticipate they're going to be. I mean, that's just, again, human nature, isn't it? But, yeah. So I think it's really important for children to have their emotions validated. Yeah. And I suppose it's like giving them those experiences in order to, to achieve that, isn't it? But yeah, thank you, Molly. So interesting. <laughs> Love it. I could talk to you all day. So just tell me the titles of your books, just so that my teachers can... Uh, grasp them that's like going to the shop I went to the shop and I bought a loaf of bread remembering my books um how are you feeling today um which is the emotional literacy one what's worrying you which looks at different scenarios and what you might be feeling and thinking in those scenarios like getting a new teacher or uh, I can't remember the other ones um there's a book called what's going on inside your head which is about starting those messages about positive mental health yeah there's a book called it's okay to cry which particularly I wrote it with boys in mind this idea that Boys suppress their emotions or told very at an early age to suppress their emotions and how that isn't a healthy thing to happen at all. Um, there's a book and my latest book's called The Same But Different, which is a book that explores diversity. And it's my favourite in terms of illustrations. My illustrator, Sarah Jennings, is fantastic. We've, we deliberately decided we've got to pack loads of diversity into the pictures as well as the text. So... It's, I just think it's wonderful, that book. She says about her own book, sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I've got, you've, got to, you've got to shout it out, shout it loud, shout it proud. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a death book, as I say. Um, let's talk about death. And then a the Birds and the Bees book, which is giving children open and honest facts about uh, sex, reproduction, relationships, families, and so on. There's a lot in there because it's almost... The book I would have loved to have existed when I worked in the field of sex and relationships education, as it was called back then. So it's I basically just put all the information that I thought it was really important for young children to understand about the biology, but also about, you know, we don't just have sex to make babies, you know, that like lots of books gave children that idea. So it sort of, yeah, gives them an honest but gentle um, openness about all that information. Brilliant. And what's nice is it's all by the same um, illustrator as well, Sarah Jennings. So they're all themed and linked. So if I was a school, I would just buy the pack and have that as sort of like a whole school support for UPSHE or UPSD. Absolutely. So that's my suggestion to my teachers. So if they want to follow you, Molly, or find out more about you, I mean, I you can just put your name into Amazon and you can find all your books that come up for them to be able to easily purchase but if they want to follow you and find out more where can they go um i've got a website mollypotter.com i've got a blog um a blog on there that i add to quite regularly and a lot of the things that i find myself talking about on in situations like this i kind of had a start off because I've really sort of thought something through and then I write a blog post about it. There's also emotion posters, which I've naughtily used emoticons for that people can contact me. And I've been sending those out because I'm just completely and utterly want people to do this emotional literacy stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, you're super passionate about it, aren't you? I can tell that and knowledgeable as well. And I think that, you know, it's, it's really good chatting to you. And I think the teachers will have got a lot out of this. I think sometimes 
um, you know, that their hands are held back sometimes in terms of how they can be in school sometimes. Sometimes they are very micromanaged and it's about just getting that information across so they can make the right decisions, the right choices, and maybe they're not in the right school, that sort of thing. So thank you ever so much, Molly. And just to finish, we've been starting to do this with um, some of our authors, is what are you having for tea tonight? What are you having for your dinner oh. in Sheffield? We call it tea. What are you having for tea tonight? <laughs> Well, it was always tea when I was a kid because I'm from Gatwick and we talk, talk, always called it tea. Yeah, we um, tea in Sheffield and then I go to other places and they go, tea? Cup of tea? Yeah. I go, oh, dinner. What are you having for tea? I, I think it means we're not posh, Sarah. I think I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm having fish cakes tonight. Ooh, what are you having with yeah. the cakes? Oh, I haven't thought that through yet. <laughs> I I, I always have a, a, on Monday night is fish night for us. So my children will only eat cod. So we're having a fish pie, but it's only got cod in it. But they... <laughs> I think of you as I'm mean, eating my fish too. Yeah. Monday night's fish night and Sarah's as well. <laughs> and everybody that's listening to this day is going to go and have a fish night, aren't they? <laughs> well, thank you ever so much, Molly, and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye. My pleasure. Bye. to our podcast come and support us at the muddy puddle teacher head to the website www.themuddypuddleteacher.co.uk have a look at our online prices you can subscribe and get access to all of our cpd training our audiobooks our podcasts our webinars also we've got our e-courses and our hundreds of resources to help you get outside and confident we also have whole school packages as well, so head to the site www.themuddybuddleteacher.com and you'll be able to have a look at all the whole school packages we do as well.